0: All right. Good morning, guys. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Sam, and I am the associate pastor of students here. Uh, truly, I am excited to get to worship with you guys this morning, unpack Scripture with you all today. Um, now, when I found out that I was going to be preaching this morning, it was a few weeks ago. They came to me. and said, "Hey, it's fall break. We're going to take a break from our First Samuel series. You can teach on anything you want." Whatever you want to teach, whatever sermon you've been itching to preach, go ahead, break it out. You can do whatever you want, which is a dangerous thing to say to the students' guy or really to any pastor. Um, so I thought, I said, you know, do I preach on why students' ministry is objectively the best ministry in the church? And I was like, maybe. fall or Winter Retreat does open today registration, so maybe I preach on that. Do I preach on why associate pastors are objectively cooler than normal pastors? Because we are, as you guys can well understand. Um, but then I did think better of it, and I, so I started to pray. I started to pray, and I read the scriptures, and I just prayed a lot. And I said, Lord, uh, I don't want to preach something that, that I just want to preach because I like it or because it's an interesting verse. I want to preach what you have for us. Would you show me? What do you have to say to us this morning? What do you have to say to me this morning, Lord, what do you have for this church, this people, this week? Um, I looked at a bunch of different passages, and I, I just could not get over the verse that we read, Matthew 7, 21 to 23. I, I couldn't get away from it. I felt like every time I would pray, every time I would read my Bible, even for my own devotion, that the Holy Spirit was just shoving my face in this verse. I, I really couldn't escape it. And, and so it's what we'll be looking at this morning, friends. And, and if you're unfamiliar with this passage, you just heard it read, it is for my money the single most terrifying passage in the entire Bible. Um, A lot of Scripture can be unnerving. A lot of Scripture can be confusing. A lot of Scripture can be scary even, but this one, this one is absolutely bone-chilling when we hear it right. At least it is for me. This one one will keep you up at night. Uh, And and yet, I, I do think that when we rightly understand what this passage is saying, it should scare us, but it also should give us immense hope an immense freedom uh, when we hear what Jesus is trying to teach us in these verses. And I'm just cards on the table. I am firmly convinced that that feeling, that feeling of holy fear of conviction and that feeling of wonderful hope and wonderful freedom found only in Jesus, that that is where God wants us to go today. That's where I think he wants to take us today. It's what he's been impressing upon my heart. And, and I do believe that he has work to do in your heart as well this morning. To be honest and transparent, I man, I've been convicted over and over and over again in the weeks I've been preparing for this. I've seen ways that I've fallen short in my love for the Lord. I've seen ways that I've trusted other things instead of trusting him. And I want you to know, I believe that he has this for you today as well, and it results in beautiful freedom and in knowing and loving Jesus more. So that's, that's where we're trying to go today, friends. So pray with me because I need it and because these words won't get you there, but the Holy Spirit Will, so we'll ask him to come together. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you don't leave us alone in our mess. Thank you that that you didn't abandon us to try to earn our way back to you, but Jesus, you came and you lived the perfect life and you died our death and you rose again. What a savior, what a savior. Spirit, we ask that you would move right now, that you would take my feeble attempt at understanding this passage and that you would work it into our hearts that we might look more like you, that we might love you more. Jesus, if there's people here that don't know you, would they come to know you today? And for those of us that do know you, Jesus, would you call us into greater relationship, greater faithfulness today. It's only through you, Jesus. This is all for you. To you be all the glory. We love you. Today name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as I'm sure you know, uh, when we look at any passage of Scripture, but particularly the small ones, it can be really important to look at the context. Right, it's always important to look at the context of any chapter that you're reading, any verse you're looking at, but particularly when it's just a few little verses, it's really easy to maybe go and pull them out and look at them and kind of make them say whatever it is that you want them to say. And so in order to avoid that, uh, I would love to take a second to just sort of lay the context out for you of what these verses, where they were taught, what Jesus was doing when he was teaching them, and sort of set the scene. These verses occur right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been around church for any moment, really, I'm sure you've at least heard of the Sermon on the Mount, but Jesus is talking to the crowds, and he's laying out for them in no uncertain terms what his kingdom is like. He's explaining the rules, the regulations, the standards, the expectations of people who are residents in his new kingdom. He's saying things like, hey, the world tells you to do this, but I say we go this direction. So he shares the Beatitudes, which I'm sure you're familiar with, things like blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, and so on. He shares the golden rule to do unto others as you'd like them to do unto you. He then goes on and he warns of false teachers and false prophets, that you'll, you'll hear people who come and tell you things, but, but man, always check it with the scripture, right? Don't necessarily put everyone who says, hey, I'm a Christian, I have something to say in a position of authority. It's just to lay out how we should relate to each other. He's making sure, he's making sure through all of this that everybody listening, ourselves today included, have a crystal clear picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount lays it out. This is what it looks like to be a faithful follower of Jesus. And At the end of the message, Jesus chooses to give his listeners and us this morning a picture of what's going to happen on Judgment Day. So think about that for a second. Think about that. These verses, right there, they're some of the last that Jesus taught. They're actually the next to last thing he says in this massive sermon, the longest recorded sermon that we have from Jesus. And I don't know about you, but when I call my wife on the phone, Megan, uh, I talk to her about all kinds of things, but the last thing I say is, hey, Megan, I love you. I'll see you soon. When I leave the house, when I left the house this morning to come here, uh, I have a three-year-old son, and I grabbed his awesomely square head, and I said, Owen, I love you so much. I love you, buddy. I'll be home soon. Right? That's, that's what I do, and, and I'm sure you guys do similar things, but I say that. I do that to Owen or to Megan because I want them to remember it, right? I, I'm a huge talker. I say a ton of words throughout the day, so pray for them, uh, but surely they don't remember them all, nor should they, if we're honest but I do want them to know, hey, I love you. Hey, no matter what I said, no matter what I did, no matter how our day went, I love you, and I'll be home soon. And now Jesus isn't calling his wife on the phone here, but he is giving a long, long sermon, and he chooses to end on this, on this. And it's not an accident. It's not an accident that Jesus places this part of the sermon here. And now, all the Sermon on the Mount is incredibly important and worthy of your time and attention. But Jesus is making it clear he absolutely does not want us to miss what he says here. And Janelle did a fantastic job reading the scriptures. Thank you for serving us in that way. Uh, But I'm going to read it again with that context in mind just quickly. So Jesus, wrapping up maybe the greatest sermon ever preached, says this. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These verses, Jesus isn't burying the lead. He's not being coy here. They're obvious, brutally obvious, obvious in a, in a scary, bone-chilling way. Jesus is saying, in no uncertain terms, hey, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. There will be lots of people, there will be many people who get to the end, who see me face to face, who say, Lord, Lord, we're here, who think they're saved that aren't. That aren't. It's not... It's not a suggestion. It's a promise. There will be many people who show up on that last day who think they're just going to waltz into heaven and high-five Jesus on the way in, who don't make it, who don't make it. And picture this. You guys will be there. You're in this scene. right? It's really easy to read the Bible and say, well, it's not really about you. It applies to you, but you're not in this story. Friends, you're in this story. You're there at the last day. You are going to say, Lord, Lord, on the last day. The only question is if Jesus will look at you and say, depart from me, I didn't know you. Or if he'll look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You're either going to hear, enter into my rest, or you'll hear, depart from me forever. There is no other option. You're getting one or the other. You're here and... Church, we we cannot be, we we must not be arrogant enough to think that it could never be you, it could never be me, who are told to depart. It could never be us who happen to miss it. Friends, we cannot be those kind of people, those kind of people who think it could never be me. They're the ones who it ends up being. We're called here, I think, even this morning to ask with fear and with trembling, just like the disciples did at the Last Supper when Jesus says, one of you will betray me. What do they say? They say, is it I, Lord? Is it me? Am I the one? Surely not me, right? That's what we're called to ask today is, Lord, is it, is it us? Are we the ones who don't really know you, who think they know you, but we don't? Is it I, Lord? Lord, would you show us? Would you reveal to us today if it's us? Guys, I've been here for about six months, and it has been a fantastic six months. You guys are wonderful. You've been so kind and so welcoming, and I love you guys. I love you enough to tell you, to beg you even, look at your life today. Don't waste this moment. Don't waste this time. Examine your own heart today and see if Jesus really knows you, if you really know him Or if ultimately you and I are trusting in other things, it could be us, friends. It could be. So don't miss this moment to examine your own heart and see, am I trusting in something else to save me? Or am I wholly trusting in Jesus? That's the whole point of the sermon. It's for us to take a moment and see if we really know Jesus or if we're just fooling ourselves. So no matter where you are, whether you have been coming to church for your entire life or this is your first time checking out this church thing, and I'm thrilled you're here. Sorry you picked this one, but it's gonna be great. I'm excited that you're here, though. No matter where you are, maybe you're somewhere in the middle. We have to know. We have to know where we are in relation to Jesus. It is the only thing that truly matters. It is a dreadful thing, a scary thing to not know Jesus, but it is far worse to not know Jesus and to think that you do. That is the absolute worst-case scenario. And what makes this warning even more terrifying, if I can belabor the point a little bit, it's that us, people who go to church at 9 a.m. services, nonetheless, people who serve in different, different ministries, different places, people who send their kids to youth group, keep doing that. It's totally worth it. Uh, people who do those things, though, we are the people who are most at risk here in this passage. This isn't a story about people who are atheists, who say, oh, I I hate God, there's no God, who have never darkened the door of a church. This is a story about people that look exactly like us, who are name tags like this one. We're surrounded by Christian things. That's a really good thing. It's a blessing. But because of that, it can be very, very easy for you and for me to become used to that and to mistake living in a Christian environment for having a true, dynamic, growing relationship with Jesus. I've fallen into that trap many times, and perhaps you were there as well. So Jesus, in his kindness, he gives us this passage as sort of a a self-check, a rubric, if you will, that will allow us to discern what other things we might be trusting in. And I hesitate to tell this story with my dad in the room, so maybe cover your ears if you don't mind. Uh, But when I was in college, I had a class called the History of Urbanization. And that class was terrible. I was bad at it. It's about like how cities came to be cities. I I don't, genuinely don't really know what it was about, which is probably why I struggled with it. But anyways, it didn't matter. All that mattered was I was not doing particularly well in my class and I hadn't really told my dad because I'm a wise individual. But I thought to myself, I thought to myself, what should I do to kind of rescue this sinking ship? And I had an exam coming up, as you do, and so I thought I'm going to study really hard. And so I did. I read books on books on books. I, I stayed up late. I listened to all the lectures again, and I felt really good. I was like, I am prepared. I am ready. I am going to get my A. This is my time to shine. I got this. And I showed up into class, and this is a true story. I showed up to class. I sat down. My friend said, hey, how are you feeling? I said, oh, I'm feeling great. I'm going to crush this exam. I worked really hard on it. And I get the paper, and my heart sinks. I think I'm about to throw up. Because it says on the top, exam over chapters 7 to 10, and I had studied chapters 4 to 6. Yes. Which, again, probably tells you why I wasn't doing particularly great in the class. Um, Nothing was really making sense, what he was saying. Uh, But here we are. And in that moment, though, in that moment, maybe you've done something like that. Maybe you felt that way. Maybe it's just me. But in that moment... It didn't matter that I had worked really hard. It didn't matter that I stayed up late, that I read the books, that I did the homework, that I listened to lectures. It didn't matter. It didn't matter at all. What mattered was I hadn't listened to the voice of my professor. Everything I did and everything I studied was everything that wasn't going to be counted on in this exam. In the same way, Jesus is warning us, hey, don't show up having missed it. Don't show up having missed it. Look, I'll tell you what's on the exam. I'll tell you what I'm looking for. I'll tell you what's going to count for your grade in the end. Just don't show up having missed it. That's what Jesus does here in this passage. And so we see, I'm going to point them out to you, that Jesus shows us three different things that are good, like really good, like really, really good, but that won't save us in the end. We're going to look at all three quickly, and they are, they'll be on the screen It's these things. It's right doctrines, right emotions, and right actions. Jesus wants you and I to know today that our right doctrines alone won't save us. Our right emotions alone won't save us. Our right actions, the good things that we do alone, they will not save us. So I'm gonna pause, we're gonna look at them really quickly, but I'm gonna pause for a second. Every one of you in this room, myself included, is wired in a particular way. You'll look at these things, it's head, heart, hands, if you think through that rubric maybe, and you'll lean a certain way. You'll resonate a certain way. You'll tend to want to trust in one of these three things. If we're honest, we're all broken. We all struggle with all of these things. But I want you to ask yourself as we look through them, which of these resonates with you? Which of these are you most in danger of trusting instead of trusting Jesus? Which of these you tend to build your life around? Or to put it another way, if Jesus asked you or I, hey, why should I let you into heaven again? Help me remember. Am I prone to point to the things that I know, the things that I feel, or the things that I've done? I'd like To ask you that question today. Or would we simply fall at Jesus' feet and say it's all because of you? And yes, in our best moments, I hope we would all say that. But let's look honestly at our hearts. Where do we tend to lean? So, The first thing that we see Jesus call out is this idea that doctrines can't save us. And and now this can sound controversial. I am standing in front of a pulpit, after all. Uh, And so hear what I'm saying here. Doctrine is amazing and incredibly important. You must know who God is, and you must know him rightly. Our doctrine matters. Theology matters. But look with me again at the first part of this verse. It says, Matthew 7, 21, it says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. These people who don't make it, they call Jesus, you can see it, they call Jesus Lord. And the word they're using there is Kyrios. It's the Greek word that's used when translating the very name of God from the Old Testament Hebrew into Greek. So what they're not doing, they're not saying, hey, good teacher, hey, good teacher you're a great guy, righteous person, uh, really good person. They're not saying any of these other titles that people have called Jesus. They're getting it right. They're actually getting it right. These people, they rightly understand who Jesus is, that he is Lord and that he is God. They listened to the right podcasts. They read the right books. They did all of the really good Bible studies that you get emails about, and they gave all the best answers in small groups. But And and, and don't miss this, please. Their right knowledge about Jesus does not open the door to heaven for them. And again, hear me. Biblical scholarship is really important. Read your Bible, friends. It's the best way to grow. But don't make the mistake of thinking that Jesus knows you just because you know a lot about him. And James agrees. James 2.9, it's a... famous verse, it says this, it says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. How often do we shudder at how great and glorious God is? Things to think about. The Bible is clear. Your head knowledge, if you have it, about the Lord is a blessing. It's a blessing, and it's a necessity to continue to grow in our faith. Don't throw away head knowledge. It's a blessing and we need it. But if that head knowledge does not result in a real and growing and maturing relationship with Jesus, then it's a waste. Then it's a waste and it's a trap. So pursue head knowledge. Learn more. God is incredible. We'll never fully understand him. Pursue knowing him. But recognize if that knowledge isn't affecting your heart, if it's not moving from your head to your heart, then it's not really doing anything At all. So if you're here and you know a lot about Jesus, praise the Lord. Genuinely thank the Lord for what he's done in your life. But ask yourself, now, today, is my head knowledge growing into a relationship or is it all still up here? So moving to the next point, we also see that good feelings about Jesus, they don't save us either. So these people, they don't address Jesus dryly or calmly or calmly. Right, they don't say, hello, sir, it's good to see you. No, they show, they say, Lord, Lord, right? It's it's emphatic. It's almost desperate. It's expectant. And it's supposed to feel that way. And that's what makes these verses even more heartbreaking. You can almost, like, feel the confusion in their voice, right? They say, Lord, Lord, didn't, didn't we? Wait, wait, didn't we? Jesus isn't some strange, distant God up in the sky somewhere to these people. Surely, surely they didn't devote their lives to do all of these things that they said they did without having some sort of good feelings towards Jesus, some sense that they were obeying him, that they loved him. And to, just to be vulnerable in this room, uh, this is the one I struggle with the most. This is the one where I tend to run, just so you know. I am pretty gut feel in the decisions that I make. I trust my gut, I rely on it, and, and I tend to fall into the trap of thinking that my feelings are authoritative. So I, I think to myself, how are you doing with God, Sam? I say, well, feels pretty good. I love Jesus. That guy is great. Uh, we're probably doing awesome. And we, we, might, we might be, we might be. But just because I feel like I'm close to Jesus does not mean that I'm actually close to Jesus. Our feelings, they're not bad. They're not bad. Your feelings are a gift. Your emotions are a gift that's been given to you. It's how we process the world. They're real, they're valid, but they're not always trustworthy. Just because you feel like you're somewhere does not mean that you're actually somewhere. Just because you feel like you're close to Jesus does not mean you're actually close to Jesus. And again, listen, you should have good feelings towards Jesus. I hope you do. He is wonderful and beautiful and compelling. But we see here clearly is that good Positive emotions towards Jesus alone are not an adequate response to the gospel. So if you're here and you find yourself saying, of course I'm saved. Of course I'm saved. Whenever I think about Jesus, I feel good and I feel safe and I feel warm. I love the songs that we sing. Again, praise the Lord. That is a blessing. But ask yourself, does Jesus feel that way about you? Ask yourself, do I really love and know Jesus? A Jesus who says, hey, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Or do I know and love a Jesus that I've created in my own image? A Jesus that I picked the parts that I like, and that's the Jesus that I love. Oh, I've had to confess and repent of that often. Often, especially this week. And that brings us to the last thing we see in this passage It's that right actions alone don't save us either. Look with me again at verse 22 this time. It says, on that day, there we are, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Now, I don't know about you, I don't know all of you, but I do not prophesy very often. I don't often cast out demons. I do work with middle schoolers and high schoolers, so, you know, some skills are transferable there, but uh, I don't do it often, right? There's not many mighty works that I'm just showing up and doing miracles, although that would be sweet. And now, listen, listen, I don't want to say it's not you either, Because I don't know you. The Lord can do that stuff. You know, if we believe, he can move. But if it's you, I would love to hear about it. So come talk to me. I have a place for you to serve. It would be really cool. Uh, So that's you. Amazing. But I, I have to think, I have to think that not many of us live this way. That not many of us are prophesying and casting out demons and doing miracles left and right. But the point remains, right, that these guys are doing Christian superstar level work for Jesus. And if those things sound too weird and old school, it might sound something like this. They might say something like, didn't we preach even better than Chris in your name? Didn't we start revival in our neighborhood in your name? Didn't we evangelize to our coworkers over coffee in your name, Jesus? But even these things, they're not enough. They're not enough. So preach all the messages you want. Start all the neighborhood revivals you want, and you should. Those things are really, really good. But they are not enough to make it home. They're good things to do, but if you trust them, even those things will fail you in the end. You might say, the astute Bible readers that you are, but Sam, doesn't Jesus say, the one who does the will of my Father is in heaven? That's the one who will make it. And yes, you're totally right. And we'll get to what that means. But but I'm going to tell you what it doesn't mean. Doing the will of the Father, the will of the Father is not for you to be a good employee for God. It's not for you to do incredible work for God and somehow earn your way into heaven. So, superstar Christians out there, I know who some of you are because you're brilliant and you're amazing. Ask yourself... Why do you do the good work that you do? Why do you go to Bible study? Why do you pray? Why do you read your Bible? Is it because you like checking the box? Is it because it makes the people around you happy or they'll think well of you? Or do you do those things out of an overflow of knowing Jesus truly and deeply and then following in the footsteps of your savior? Where are you today? Which of those are you? And so if we end there, things can feel pretty bleak, if we're honest. At least it did for me when I was writing this. We can't ever know enough. We can't ever feel enough. We can't ever do enough to make it to heaven. And on top of that, you and I, we run this risk that we might think we know Jesus, and we don't, and we don't make it in the end. It is a desperate place to be. It is a desperate place to be when you understand how desperate our situation is, when you feel that weight that I, I, I really I, I couldn't make it to heaven, when you feel that desperation, then the gospel becomes truly beautiful to you and to me. Because if you feel that way right now, if you feel that way right now that there's just no way I could ever make it to heaven on my own, then you are exactly where Jesus wants you to be. When we come to the end of ourselves, that's where we see how beautiful and kind and strong Jesus is, because Jesus came to save sinners like us and to offer us a way home, not tied to what we think or feel or do, but tied to the work that he did. And now we get to live lives that reflect who he is to one another. So that's the question I had to ask myself this week, and it's the question I want to ask you today is, do you know him? Do you really know him? And I don't know if you feel confident about that answer. Maybe you're like, I know him 10 out of 10. Or like, I think I know him, but I'm not sure. Or, or maybe like, I really don't know him. But my, my desire is that every person in this room would be able to walk out of that door, those doors confidently saying, yes, I know him. Or no, I don't think I do. And I have some things to think about by the time that we're done and we are almost done. So if you want to know for sure if you know him, if you want to know for sure where you stand, this passage actually tells us how to do it as well. Verse 21 again, it says this, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. In other words, look at your life. Take stock of your life. John Calvin once wrote, he said this, he said, We are saved by faith alone but the faith that saves is never alone. That's what Jesus means here. When he says, the one who does the will of my father who's in heaven is the one who will make it home. The Bible is clear. We don't do anything to earn our salvation. Salvation is a free gift from Jesus through his perfect life, death, and resurrection. It is offered to you now free of cost. And you can't lose that salvation by bad decision making or by sinful actions. Once you're in, Jesus is faithful. It relies on Jesus' faithfulness to sanctify you and get you home. But here's the thing, friends, don't miss this. If you feel like you have faith in Jesus, but you look and that faith is not producing life-changing obedience, then it might not be real faith at all. If you feel like You have faith in Jesus, but that faith isn't doing anything to you. It's not impacting your life, the way you live, the way you think, what you do. Then it might not be real faith at all. I don't know, but that is what Jesus is saying here. That's the whole point of the passage. So if you want to be sure that you really know Jesus, don't look at your actions, your feelings, your thoughts. We've already seen those things can lie to you. Look at the heart and motivation behind those things. Are you reading your Bible to earn some heavenly approval or because you can't wait to hear what Jesus has to say? Are you lifting your hands in worship because you think it looks good or maybe not lifting your hands in worship because you're worried about what other people think? Or are you worshiping however you want to worship out of an overflow of the love you have for your Savior? Why do you sing those songs, friends? Because you're supposed to or because Jesus commands you to sing to him and when you understand the gospel, you can't help but rejoice? Are you excited to gather with God's people? Or is church just a habit for you? Are you giving money here or somewhere else because you have to? Or because you get to joyfully participate in God's mission? Are you actively confessing sin in your life? Or are you just playing accountability group or small group or whatever you like to call it? Friends, please do not play Christian. It is not worth it to go through the motions. It's not, not when there's such extravagant joy and mercy and purpose offered for you in the gospel. It is so much better to know Jesus, to know Jesus and live your life out of that knowledge than to act out a Christian life that's not driven by the spirit. Jesus came to us because we could never work our way back to him. He knew the depth of our sin. He knew the desperation of our situation and he came to save. That is what's so beautiful about the gospel. Friends, look with me at Romans 3. It says, for all have sinned. You and me are here. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through redemption that is in Jesus. That is what is offered to you today. Jesus offers you that grace. Repent and believe. We can be free from trying to have to prove ourselves. We can be free from trying to have to earn our way to heaven. We can be free to do the will of the Father, not because it looks good, but because we have a really, really good Savior. Does knowing how good Jesus is drive your life today? When we understand the gospel, when we really receive the gospel, when we understand how much we've been forgiven, it must it must drive the way that we live. Now look, I take Jesus at his word, and I, I'm sure you do too. The reality is that there are some of you in this room, it says there's enough of you in here, even on fall break, there's enough of you in here to know that there are some of you in this room who have never experienced that grace in a real life impacting way. If that's you, today is your day. Jesus wants to know you. He wants to know you, so run to him. He's so much better than trying to do it on your own. I've tried, believe me, he's so much better. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, I'm not sure I really know him. I thought I did, but maybe I just know a lot about him or maybe I just do a lot of good stuff. I'm not really sure. Come talk to me, talk to anybody here. We'd love to have that conversation. Just don't leave. Don't leave without figuring out, do you really know him and does he really know you? And for others of us, Brothers, we know we know Jesus, and we know that he knows us. We aren't perfect. We make mistakes all the time. We have our bad days, but we know that he is ours and we are his. These verses have a challenge for you today, too, if that's the boat that you're in. This idea that we trust solely in Jesus and not in our own strength. It isn't a one-time thing. We constantly have to fight this battle. Guys, I work for a church. Do you know how easy it is to justify yourself by your actions when you're employed by God? Like, it, it is really easy to fall into that trap that Jesus is my nine to five. And at 5.30, I can do whatever I like. I'm off the clock. I feel like I have to repent of this every two days. And then I go right back to work trying to impress Jesus. And maybe that's just me. But I have to think that it's a lot of y'all's story, too. So if you're a believer in this room today, the call is to repent of the ways that you have subtly made your doctrines, your emotions, and your actions about you instead of the one who has saved you. That's what I've had to repent of this week. So join me, if that's you, in repenting in these ways. I've had to repent of all the ways I forgot the gospel and lived like I had to earn my salvation this week. What about you? The call today isn't just to listen to this sermon and say, "Whew, I know Jesus, thank goodness, I'm getting in. That's amazing, you can start there. But the call is to repent and to start once again living life out of the joy of knowing Jesus. It's to say, Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus, you are good and you are beautiful, you saved my life, whatever you want, I'm in. However you want me to worship, however you want me to act, whatever you want me to give, I'm in. Jesus promises it's the one who does the will of his Father in heaven that makes it home. That's how you know when your heart is aligned with Jesus and then your actions are driven out of knowing him. So, what is God's will for us today, church? It's not empty thoughts or feelings or actions driven by our own motivations and insecurities It is confession of sin. It is reliance on the Holy Spirit. It is truly making Jesus the Lord of your life and then living all of your life in light of that fact. That is the kind of people God is calling us to be today. We are a freed people bought by the blood of the lamb. And now we get the joy of living a life in that freedom. If your life looks like that, not perfect, not perfect, but a line that you say, I love Jesus, and my love for him drives my actions, then you'll never have to fear these verses. Not because you're so faithful, but because he is so faithful. If you can trust, you can trust his promise, that if you confess with your mouth that he's Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then your life will look fundamentally different. You will absolutely make it home. None of us are perfect friends. But if we know and are known by the perfect Savior, we will be home with him forever. Oh, praise the Lord. What a good Savior we have. Pray with me today. Jesus, you are just so good. You are so good. You are so kind. You are so beautiful. You didn't have to save us, but you chose to. You chose to lay down your life for us, these people who are messy and broken and don't really want you all the time, but you love us anyways. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Would you allow us to know you more? Would you allow us to live lives not motivated by our own things, but motivated by how good you are? Jesus, make us a church. Make us a people that all of our decisions, all of our actions are driven by our love for you. God, we reflect that to each other And would we reflect that to the world? We can't wait to be home with you one day, Jesus. We can't wait to see you face to face. Oh, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.